Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM, online, radionorthland.org. I'm Glenn Broggett, along with my co-host, way down there, deep in the heart of Texas at the Mobile... Is, is, is it the Mobile Studio, or is he indoors today? We're going to have to find out, uh, and the only way I can find out is by uh, introducing Mr. Mike McCurdy back to the program. Mike, it's so good uh, to be back, making some wrestling memories. Now, are you the uh, Mobile, or are you indoor today? I have a few more weeks with the indoor studio before, uh, you know, uh, some children send me to the Mobile Studio, so... Right now, right now, we're relaxing in the indoor studio, you know. Mm-hmm. Got my second uh, COVID vaccination yesterday, so oh, very no nice. side effects, I'm happy to say. But. Yeah, I had the side effects when I had my second one, but that was two weeks ago. And, uh, hey, things are getting better on the front of uh, soon. You know, I'm hoping that I won't have to be wearing a mask all the time. But, hey, we're, time takes time, but I'm glad uh, you got your second shot. Oh, definitely. It feels like I got punched in the arm is the thing. My arm is really sore. That's the only side effect I'm having. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You didn't have, you didn't get laid up by it or anything like that. But yeah, boy, we're talking some wrestling. It's been a while since we've uh, we've done this. Uh, you know, we we had uh, recorded a bunch of episodes in advance that went well, but now we're back to uh, into the swing of things. We got a guest uh, today, and boy, we could talk a whole lot of wrestling today. We can't, man. And, you know, and it's a returning guest. We've had this gentleman oh, on yeah. with us before, so we're quite always f- a great interview. I'm looking forward to talking to him this week. Quite familiar with our guest, uh, yes, uh, listeners of Wrestling Memories. And, uh, yeah, well, why not get into the conversation and we can see where it goes. We got a, he's got, He always seems to have a whole lot of things going on. We'd love to find out what's up with him. Maybe we talk about what's going on with the current wrestling scene. But there's only one way to get to it. Mike, introduce our guest today. I can do that, man. In fact, he's got something going on now. He's on his way back to, back to San Francisco as we record this interview. So he's always got some irons in the fire. You know, you might recognize him from, you know, Tough Enough. You might recognize him from seeing him on SmackDown. He's been on AEW. If you're a California native, you know, some of our California listeners, you might have seen him a few times at Hood Slam. But, you know, like I said, he's a returning guest, third time on our show. Uh, this week's guest, none other than Mr. AJ Kirsch. AJ, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back, guys. And I actually, uh, as you pointed out, I am in my mobile studio, which is my, uh, what, 2006 Honda Civic Hybrid, driving back from L.A. after banking a bunch of interviews for the Tough Talk podcast, which I just launched, which is a tell-all podcast 10 years after my time on WWE Tough Enough. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled with how it's going so far. I just talked with Eric Watts, who became a good friend of mine from the show, uh, another Eric, Eric Van Wagenen, who was the executive producer. So he was very much aware of all the uh, all the strings being pulled and everything that uh, myself and the other contestants didn't see. Uh, and it's nice to be back. Let's make some wrestling memories. Well, you know, I mean, you, you brought it up. You know, we're here to talk this week. Uh, you know, like I said, you got a lot of irons in the fire, many projects. You're always a busy guy. But your newest project, you just mentioned it, is uh, Tough Talk with AJ Kirsch, which you can find anywhere you listen to uh, your podcast. But, uh, you know, I've listened to the first episode. You and uh, Martin sat down. And that was an enjoyable show. I'd like to know, though, is where, where did you come up with the idea? Like you said, 10 years after your season of Tough Enough, you know, where did, what was the genesis of Tough Talk? Uh, well, the 10-year the anniversary is what kind of put it in my brain in the first place. Like, it's always a lot of questions about reality TV in general and what actually is real and what isn't and i think pro wrestling is not uncommon in that respect where it just blurs the lines of what's real and what's a performance and so you know with the 10-year anniversary coming up and also with the last year and change really turning the entire pro wrestling business on its head and people having to get more creative with how they generate and share pro wrestling content beyond a live show and also, like, a podcast is something I've always just kind of wanted to do. As somebody who's very much at home behind a microphone and under a headset, it just seemed like a, like a natural fit. And so it was going to – the original plan was to make it a watch-along thing, much like a Conrad Thompson podcast. Like, you know, I would – at the time, uh, WWE Network had not yet started transitioning its content to Peacock. And so I, I didn't even know that was coming. And so the idea was to just do a watch-along for the 10 episodes of the show with one of the contestants or two of the contestants and just kind of relive those moments and narrate what was going on in our heads as it was happening. But 
with the shift from the network to Peacock, I realized I needed to, like, buy some time <laughs> before Tough Enough actually made the jump, which could have been any time between, you know, uh, what, right around WrestleMania until SummerSlam is, I think, the deadline for everything to make the jump. So I had no idea when that was going to happen, so I started, I just made it kind of a, an, I don't want to say an interview podcast because that makes it sound very formal. I'm definitely not a journalist. I wanted to make it more of just a conversational type thing. Um, and, you know, I've got different dynamics with the contestants on the show and with the staff, the production on the show, too, many of whom I stayed in touch with on social media over the years. But, like, Eric Watts and I became really good friends, as I said. But I didn't know Ariane, and I didn't know Michael Zaki or Luke Robinson as anything more than the people I knew on the show as contestants. So... One of the joys of the podcast for me so far is really getting to understand who they are as human beings, how they felt about their time on Tough Enough as it was happening, and how they've changed over 10 years. Because for a lot of us, we were in our early or mid-20s uh, or late 20s at the time, and a whole lot of growth, at least one would think, a whole lot of growth happens between your 20s and your mid or late 30s. So it's it's been really a pleasure on my end and i hope people uh it seems like anyway based on the feedback that people are really enjoying it so far i've had a chance to listen to the first e- i've listened to the first episode because i love listening to uh to marty i that that guy is just gold he's just, just got a great sense marty's of humor and all that and i really enjoyed that episode yeah marty's, yeah yeah marty's, marty's awesome, awesome. Um, he and i became uh like i think you know eric and i became the closest on the show, but Martin is, like, right behind him. I'm going, in fact, I'm going to his wedding um, on in uh, early June in Salt Lake City, which I'm really looking forward to. But Martin had, he, I, I, I said this from the very beginning, had he not injured his ankle, I think he would have won tough enough. He was on track um, with three skills challenge victories in a row, full, a ton of charisma, and to fast forward to where we are now, 10 years later, to see him pop up in AEW as much as he is, it's just a testament to his uh, resilience, his grit, and his drive to really make a name for himself in pro wrestling. Oh, definitely. Uh, funny story about uh, Marty. He was at a show that I was at, uh, Dallas Championship Wrestling, this was a couple years ago. And he was he came in for the show and main event. And I do a kind of a post-show podcast with uh, a local guy here after these shows. And one of the wrestlers we interviewed hijacked our voice recorder and decided to go out and do the interviews himself. So he took off with it. We got it back. And on a file, I've got about 20 minutes of just comedy gold with Marty talks about Texans and Cowboys and Rednecks. And just he just went off the charts. In fact, he started doing interviews. So one of our post-show episodes is actually Marty walking around doing interviews after he hijacked the voice recorder from the guy who hijacked it from us. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and Martin, like, also, he, he's gotten um, into streaming a lot. He's, he's doing really well on Twitch. And, like, he's just – he's one of those guys where it doesn't really matter what platform he's on. He's going to make it interesting. So – if you're listening to this, check him out on Twitch, but definitely keep an eye on AEW because he just wrapped his 12-week training course at the Nightmare Factory. So, you know, he's definitely in front of the right people, and even though he's had a hell of a run with Tough Enough and Lucha Underground, I think Martin's brightest years in wrestling are still ahead of him. Now let's go back to the podcast. You know, when you're first starting this, and you, you've kind of got a basic idea of it um what was the reaction from people when you actually go out to them and say hey this is what i want to do you want to come on we're going to do this interview because like you said it's been 10 years a lot of these guys and you know the other talent have probably moved on to other things you know what was the overall reaction from the people you've spoken to asking them and said hey let's talk about you know our time on top of it it's it's a pretty unanimously quick yes because as you said like Ten years is a long time, especially between your, your 20s and 30s. And a lot of people have moved on to other things. And for a lot of those people, uh, or for some of those people, I should say, like let's say Ariane, who was on the episode that just dropped this week. Ariane, um, Tough Enough was her launching pad. Like, she went on to sign with WWE. She had a run as Cameron. 
she's um, a singer now. She's she's doing it. She just dropped a, a fitness app. She's doing a ton of stuff. But it really was tough enough, even though it was an extremely brief run. It was only one episode. But she made enough of an impression in that one episode that she launched an amazing career. Like, as they say in wrestling, maximize your minutes. And she was only on Tough Enough for four, four minutes, but she made them count in a way that it got her a contract, it got her a run, and it was a launching pad for what has turned into, as she calls herself, a queen of all trades career. So she was all too happy to, uh, to talk about it. And then you've got a contestant like Michael Zaki, who was on, on the show for maybe, I think, four episodes, four or five episodes. Didn't make a huge impact, but... He's a guy who has completely separated himself from pro wrestling. He's not even on social media. He doesn't watch the product. He doesn't go to shows. And in that respect, he's also equally happy to talk about Tough Enough because he looks back at that like a, you know, maybe a relationship that didn't quite work out, but that he remembers fondly and actually enjoyed his time. He enjoyed the growth that he experienced from the show, but it wasn't, he doesn't use tough enough in a way uh, – he doesn't look at it in a way that defines him to this day. He, he looks back on it favorably and with a lot of, like, gusto. But hearing the, the different perspectives of how people reflect on tough enough, like I said, is just kind of part of the joy of the podcast. But so far, everybody's been very quick to just say, yeah, let's talk about it. For, you know, the, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. Now, you mentioned Ariana Andrews, and like I said, I, I listened to that episode, and I, I thought it was great. The thing about her, and this is what everybody's always going to remember, is like you said, four minutes on television. But it was when, you know, Steve Austin asked her, what's her favorite WWE match? And her answer was, I believe, Melina versus Alicia Fox. That was it. That's what everybody remembers about it from Tough Enough, right. is Melina versus Alicia Fox. Right. It's one of the most infamous moments. Uh, of that entire season. And, you know, she can look back on Tough Enough and say that she had a moment that, to this day, 10 years later, still follows her around. Wrestling fans, and I don't know if, if wrestling in general, especially WWE, I don't think they give their fans enough credit for having as long of a memory as they do. Like, wrestling fans remember. And so, for... For uh, Ariane, who was only on the show for one episode, but to this day, people still, you know, hit her up on social media and mention Melina versus Alicia Fox, and, and it's it's just weird how something like that takes on a life of its own, and to hear how it actually affects the human being who was who made that moment happen is um, one of the most interesting parts of this podcast. Okay, I'm going to interject here. You know, Alicia Fox and Melina was a damn Matt classic, and you guys all know that. All these years, it was a classic. <laughs> it was inspiring people. Hey. I mean, they, they are probably down in the Performance Center having a master class on that match, let me tell you, just in defense of Alicia Fox <laughs> and uh, Molina. Well, to be, fair, to, to be, be fair. fair, Steve Austin did ask her what was her favorite match, not what was the greatest match. So you really can't fault somebody for sticking to their guns and yeah. presenting an opinion. Well, you know, it, it wasn't like she was going to drop. I mean, I mean, I, I watched that episode. I wasn't expecting her to drop like, uh, well, you know, that uh, Misty Blue Sims Linda Dallas match I saw on a video gazette. You know, it, it wasn't going to be right. like a tape heads uh, geek sort of a thing because, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, and but again, she parlayed that and made it into uh, a career. And we're still talking about her to this day. So, hey, I'll, I'll power to her. But I just wanted to interject uh, about that. Alicia, Alicia Fox, Melina, Matt Classic. And you guys better not be so harsh to it. Six stars if it was in Japan. Oh, oh, forget it. I don't. There we, you go. We, we could go on and on about that. But I'm going to bring yeah. it back to Mike here because I could get carried away. I, I, do, I can. Right. <laughs> <laughs> See, and the great thing about that, too, is, you know, we mentioned, you know, she was eliminated on the first episode, which, okay, fine. We also know that she went on, as you said, WWE. She was one of the, uh, the Funkadactyls, her and Naomi, with, uh, you know, Brodus Clay. So she right. made it to the WWE regardless of her Melina versus Alicia Fox. And also, if you look at season five, you know, one, like we mentioned, you know, Marty, Marty the Moth from Lucha Underground, at one point in time, probably one of the hottest wrestling 
shows on TV, everybody loves, you know, Lucha Underground. Uh, you know, right. yeah, I believe. I don't think people realize that I believe she's one of the contestants on season five. And she just finished a run on AEW where she was teaming up with uh, Diamante. So, you know, you actually, right. and, and then of course, you know, your appearances on, you know, as I said, SmackDown. You've also been on AEW recently. You know, people don't realize that some talent came out of season five of Tough Enough. Because, like you said, it's been 10 years, and, you know, it's not a. People remember, you know, The Miz. They remember Morrison. You know, they remember Maven. But you look at season five, and you guys just had about as much, you know, talent in that season as previous. There's a ton of talent that came out of season five. And I don't think. I'm not sure if anybody who came out of season five is going to go on to have a main event future like The Miz or Morrison, who, I mean. I mean, The Miz main evented WrestleMania, and, like, good for The Miz to be able to come from, uh, you know, the world of reality TV, and we've all heard the stories about The Miz getting thrown out of locker rooms and just needing to prove himself perhaps, you know, five or ten times more than somebody else would if they had to, quote-unquote, pay their dues and, and came from the independent wrestling world and scratched and clawed their way up, and... Going back to Ariane for a second, that was something that, like, didn't really make sense to me when she got signed. And I actually, I told her to her face when I said, um, when you got signed, I was very, very jealous. And I was, because here was somebody who hadn't paid their dues and didn't have any wrestling experience. And, you know, was just, she came into Tough Enough with literally no pro wrestling experience. But it's not, it's show business before it's, it's wrestling. Tough Enough was never about finding the best wrestler. Tough Enough, as a reality show, was about casting people who made for interesting television. And this is a, a quote that I heard from Eric Van Wagenen, who worked incredibly closely with Steve Austin while the show was filming. Um, Steve Austin told Eric, like, he's not looking, he's also not looking for the best wrestler. He's looking for somebody who can make for a quote-unquote WWE superstar. And you know, Miz didn't win that season of Tough Enough, but he had that quality. Morrison, let's see, he did win his season of Tough Enough, if I remember correctly, but he definitely had that star quality as well. Um, there was something about Ariane that intrigued WWE enough to be like, yeah, Molina versus Alicia Fox, we don't really care that much. Let's see what we can do with her. Um, Eva Lee, as you said, Lucha Underground, AEW, Matt Cross, Lucha Underground, and is still... I mean, not now because it's COVID, but has still made a living traveling the world as an independent wrestler. He's, like, running out of countries to wrestle in. It's, it's amazing to see um, that so much. Eric Watts, again, another great example of somebody who's still wrestling 10 years later. In fact, this, uh, this Saturday in Vegas, he's going to be wrestling Two Cold Scorpio, which is crazy to me that Two Cold Scorpio is still going. But, like, how cool for Eric Watts to be be able to wrestle a guy that he grew up watching. So no, no kidding. I have such admiration for everybody who came out of season five and is either still getting after it as far as pro wrestling or found a way to parlay that or, or just use Tough Enough as a way to carve out a life that they can be happy with. Now, uh, one thing I'd like, I'm going to bring up here, because this, this is, for me, probably one of the most interesting or memorable things about, you know, season five. And I'm hoping, you know, maybe you've got an episode already recorded or you've got it in line to record an episode. But that's the man who won season five of Tough Enough, and that was Andy Levine, Big Andy. They announced it, and then, unfortunately, as far as WWE goes, we never saw him again. Right. Yeah. So is there anything in the... uh, I'm I am having a hard time finding anything on Andy, like at all. I don't see any social media presence. I don't see anything about Andy in wrestling um, since he was spotted wrestling in Puerto Rico um, several years ago. And it's it's weird for somebody not to have a social media presence nowadays. I feel like unless they're making a deliberate effort to stay off of social media. So. If anybody's listening to this and you have eyes or ears on Andy, uh, please hit me up on social media. I am at 
AJ Kirsch, which is A-J-K-I-R-S-C-H, on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook. Um, I would love to get in touch with Andy, and it's kind of gotten to the point where I'm like, Jesus, I hope he's okay. Like, <laughs> if, if somebody's completely dark on social media, I'm like, what's going on? But, you know, I'm sure he has his reasons, and if I, I would love to chat with him. And, like, I'm not trying to play gotcha. I'm not trying to, to throw anybody under the bus. I'm not trying to, like, make anybody feel bad about their tough enough experience because it was kind of a an odd fading away. Andy won tough enough. Um, I think he was released shortly thereafter for violating a wellness, uh, the wellness policy. And for, for what, I don't know. Um, but I would love to get in touch with Andy. I hope he's like, I hope he's doing well. I hope he's happy. And I'm, I'm super curious to chat with him about what his career and what his life was like after tough enough as one of the winners. Now, once you've talked with everybody, you've kind of done the season five run. Are you looking at possibly expanding it and maybe just kind of having the podcast be about the tough enough experience in general where you can talk to, you know, past winners and past contestants from the previous seasons? Or are you sticking just with season five? You know, I'm not really sure yet. Um, there's only so much I feel like I can cover with Tough Enough. I'm, I'm really happy it's turning more, it's turning into something bigger than just the 10 episode walk along that I had originally envisioned. So the, the transition from WWE Network to Peacock was definitely a blessing in disguise. I don't, you know, I, I'm doing my best to cover as many different angles of Tough Enough as possible. Like I mentioned the executive producer, Eric Van Wagenen. I'm going to be talking about a producer from the WWE side, Doug LeBeau. I have uh, verbal commitments from two of the four trainers, one of which is Bill DeMott. The other, you're going to have to, like, tune in to see who the other trainer is. But just as a reminder, those other three trainers were Booker T, Trish Stratus, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. So um, regardless of which one it turns out to be, um, you know, you're in for a treat either way. And I'm also casting talking with uh, the casting team because I think there's still a lot of mystery surrounding what it goes into casting a reality show. So um, I'm trying to get a hold of the casting director. I spoke to one of the casting producers. I want to talk to the medic on the show who definitely had his hands full and he and I are still friends on Facebook. Um, you know, there were a number of injuries on the show. Ivelisse was getting banged up. Martin had to withdraw. Uh, Christina Crawford, who was Leisha Fox's sister, she, um, I think, sprained her ankle late in the competition. So, you know, the, the medic was definitely busy. And I'm also talking to uh, fans of the show. I'm talking to people who were in the independent wrestling scene at the time to just kind of pick their brains and get what their perspective was. So I want to, I'm addressing not just my perspective, not just the contestants, but as many people as possible, both in and around tough enough before, you know, putting a period at the end of the podcast. But to go back to the original question, I don't know what it turns into. I don't know if it turns into a reality show podcast because I've done other reality television since. But I, I don't think it will I don't think it will stop once I feel like I've covered everything there is to cover with tough enough. But I don't have a specific idea of what it's gonna evolve into. Now, you mentioned Bill DeMott without giving anything away as far as, you know, what you'll be talking about with him. I've met Bill DeMott at, at CAC, and he, he's a great guy, but tough coach in the ring. I've heard many stories about, you know, Bill DeMott in training. and all. What was it like, actually, you know, during your time on Tough Enough, you know, being trained by, you know, Bill DeMott, Booker T, because, you know, these, these aren't like, you know, the C-level guys that you, you're, you're going to see opening the house shows. This is top WWE talent. Like I said, Bill DeMott is, you know, was considered one of the, uh, you know, a very tough guy as far as coaching goes. Yeah, and he was. I mean, he was definitely the drill sergeant of the group. Um, anytime, almost any time Bill would open his mouth or tell us what we were going to do next, there was kind of a, a quiet groan between all the contestants because he was definitely he was the hard ass of the bunch. Booker was a little bit warmer. Uh, but granted, he wasn't there all the time because he was also doing commentary for SmackDown, and so he would—he was probably only there for maybe half of the half of the training sessions. Trish, obviously, a little bit, a little bit warmer than those two, wasn't quite as 
loud, as in your face, and as unforgiving. And Steve was kind of overseeing the whole thing. But Bill was definitely a challenge to train under. And, yeah, I mean, his reputation has been as a, uh, you know, <laughs> nose to the grindstone. If you do it right, great. Get up and do it again. Do it right again, like, 50, 100 times. But I'm pretty, that's how Bill was taught. I'm sure Bill, as as old school as Bill is, he was taught by guys who were even more old school than he was. And I would be surprised if he was he was he, if he trained in a way that was different from the way he trained us. And I know there's a lot of you know controversy surrounding Bill's training methods, which ultimately is what I as I understand anyway was um, why he was released as the head trainer at what became NXT. And if if he wants to, I'm going to give him the floor to address those allegations or say as much or as little about his departure from WWE as he wants. But, you know, like I said, I'm not playing gotcha. I'm not trying to clickbait people. I want people to listen, of course, but I'm not going to dig up dirt on somebody just for the sake of digging up dirt. Now, when you're recording these episodes, you know, and you talk with Marty, you talk with Ariane, uh, what's it been like getting to relive these memories, you know, and has there been things that have come up that you yourself had forgotten about that, you know, you were able to talk about with the, with the guests on the show? All the time. I mean, uh, so much happened from the beginning of the casting process to, you know, to, to being at the finale on Raw in June. It was, it was six of the most whirlwind months of my life. And... Every time I talk to somebody, something somebody mentions something that just dusts off old memory, and I'm like, oh yeah, I got about that. Like, I'm going to be talking to um, Ryan Howe in the near future, whose unfortunate nickname on Tough Enough was Skid Marks. He was the long-haired blonde guy who was like had the rock and roll gimmick and just looked like he was, you know, straight out of 1987. Um, super sweet guy. And I completely forgot that he, like, had his guitar on the show and actually wrote this, this super cheesy, like, song about Tough Enough that just we would be singing around the house when we weren't doing anything. Memories about the experience just start popping up, and it allows me to continue to look back on, at, at my time on the show as just like, oh, yeah, like, that was fun. I missed that. I'm, I'm going to pass the mic over to Glenn. I'm sure he's got a couple questions for you. Oh, hey. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I've been enjoying this conversation uh, you've been having with our guests here on Wrestling Memories then and now, uh, AJ Kirsch. And, you know, you, you, it's been a real interesting uh, times these days, the last year, year and a half with, with COVID and all of that. And pro wrestling has managed through all of this to stay, to stay going uh, as far as the main shows. I mean, the WWE had to resort to, you know, the Thunderdome and the Performance Center stuff before that and uh, cinematic matches and the like. But uh, uh, one of the things I want to talk about is uh, a company that uh, has had more shows, uh, you know, done in Jacksonville than they've had uh, on the road due to the COVID-19. I'm talking about All Elite Wrestling, and you had a chance to uh, do some work with them uh, here not too long ago. Could you talk a little bit about this company? Because, you know, since they've uh, gotten this, uh, this, this company together... Pro wrestling, it's been very interesting following the world of pro wrestling. It's kind of gotten me excited and got me a little more into the business uh, because of their associations with not only uh, New Japan, but Impact and NWA. So you never, it gets that feeling of you'll never know who you might see make a surprise appearance on, on, on the programming. But I want to talk about uh, just your experiences with, with, with the, uh, AEW and how, you got, how you're able to have that opportunity to go down and kind of check things out down there. Yeah, um, I think anytime um, any business has not necessarily a competitor because, you know, it's going to be a cold day in hell before anybody topples WWE. That's not to say it's impossible, but, you know, they have, they're just the established brand in pro wrestling or sports entertainment, however you want to refer to it. Healthy alternatives are always healthy. And it's, it's especially encouraging when, you have NXT that has been on Wednesday nights for so long, and then you've got AEW Dynamite happening on Wednesday nights, and, like, WWE can tell you that they they didn't move NXT because of AEW, 
but they moved NXT because of AEW. And, and that's, that's encouraging when something else can pop up and get enough attention that it changes, it changes the business, essentially. It's not a huge change, necessarily, but, like, it's big enough that WWE has to adapt and take notice. So I, I appreciate that so much for AEW. The way I was actually became eligible for that, that opportunity was I was under contract with MLW, Major League Wrestling, which just made the jump to Vice TV, and congratulations to them. That's a huge deal. As, their, um, as one of their broadcasters alongside Rich Bokini. And so because I was under contract with MLW, I couldn't appear on another nationally televised promotion without MLW's blessing. And they're very, very protective of their talent. They don't like their talent popping up on other programming. Um, Brian Pillman did for a little while. MJF did for a little while. But they signed their contracts with MLW before AEW was even in the conversation. Mm -hmm. So that's how they were able to do it. But I, I had requested permission to pop up on AEW in September of last year and was denied. I understood why it wasn't, obviously it wasn't my first choice, but I understood why. Um, and MLW really wasn't using me at all during the pandemic. Um, they weren't asking me to record, you know, lines at home, um, wild lines or, or commentary for anything. But also they weren't paying me. I was, I was kind of locked into this contract that kept me exclusive to MLW, but one, they weren't using me, and two, I wasn't getting paid. So, you know, it's like didn't didn't make sense to stay in that contract. So I requested my release, um, which they granted, which I hear is uh, rare. <laughs> if, <laughs> if, you know, that rarely ever happens. So I'm, I'm grateful that they did it. And um, I was... Out of, out of my contract as of January 1st. And I made uh, QT Marshall at AEW aware, who kind of like coordinates all the extra talent. And he was like, great, if you're no longer under contract as of January 1st, let's get you to the, uh, the next available taping, which I think was, I want to say January either 5th and 6th or 6th and 7th. Whatever that Wednesday, Thursday was, was when I was there. You know, they, a lot of the the term that's been bandied about here a lot uh, these days uh, as was coined uh, in the wrestling world was used by Tony Khan is the term forbidden door. And what that has uh, done uh, here in you know the last uh, not even a year now has really again I I, I tell you it, it's made my professional wrestling uh, viewing I, I've picked it up a little bit more. I've watched a little bit more than I have in the past because I wanted that alternative. But uh, what are your thoughts about this uh, idea of, of talent exchange? Because, you know, the thing is, WWE is the WWE, but this is kind of a great way to kind of get companies that are, uh, you know, independent. I wouldn't call it a return to the territories, but it's a great way to get some of these companies kind of together in line to where it would have something that would kind of be, uh, to have its roots in the territories, but be a, a more modernized version of it now with social media being able to be another big factor in and helping things along and and really kind of creating this synergy among these other companies because you know what it is kind of cool to see a Kenny Omega pop up on an Impact or or pop up wherever you know because a lot of this stuff kind of gets these companies' eyes you know, gets eyes on these companies and you know a few extra eyes, a few extra views, a few extra tweets. It doesn't hurt it to, to boost their profile. And I think that, you know, just for an example, I really uh, think that the the impact thing, I mean, even a lot of people are kind of like expecting dream matches, all this or that. I think what they've done with it so far, it, again, it's it's been downright entertaining. I, I'm not sure I'm as enthusiastic about it. You're not um, in with, I like this. I, tell me, tell me. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I always appreciate when companies can work together. I think there's, Pro wrestling has a well-documented history of, um, you know, we're talking about pro wrestling phrases of people going into business for themselves. And it's nice to see um, a working example, especially in 2021, of that not necessarily being the case. Um, but as we saw with, like, Kenny Omega versus Rich Swan, and now Kenny Omega has, you know, God, I mean, all the belts, essentially. He is the belt collector maybe part of this is just me being an impatient wrestling fan. I just want to know what's going to happen now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how strong it makes impact look when 
Kenny Omega, who's pretty much a made man in any promotion anywhere in the world, now has all of their belts. I don't know that if I'm a casual wrestling fan, if that's going to make me care about Impact Wrestling or, or any other promotion that AEW starts working with. And even like something like uh, John Moxley, you know, now with AEW recognizing him as the, um, what, the New Japan, oh God, forgive me. What, what the U.S., the U.S. US heavy, U.S. champion for New right, Japan. Right, U.S. Heavyweight Championship, thank you. Like, he just lost, he lost the belt not too long ago, the AEW World Heavyweight Championship to Kenny Omega. I don't know, if you're unfamiliar with New Japan Pro Wrestling, John Moxley loses a belt and then all of a sudden pops up on TV with another belt. Like, I don't know. There's something about that 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 could that just makes me feel like it means less. The AEW championship means less because it's like, oh, it's okay. He's still got another belt. He's still a champion in another company. But, you know, never mind the fact that he just lost the most prized possession in AEW to Kenny Omega. We'll just we'll just acknowledge this belt instead. So there, there are certain things that I think the possibilities are endless, of course, but I don't see how you're going to make a casual wrestling fan care about Impact Wrestling or, for that matter, New Japan or Ring of... Like, long-time wrestling fans know and love Yuji Nagata, for sure. Like, I think he should have come out with Sonny Ono, but that's me armchair booking. But how is... I don't understand how a young casual wrestling fan is supposed to care about John Moxley defending another company's championship against a wrestler whose prime was 20 years ago on AEW programming. It can get a little bit convoluted. Again, you, you, when you have a guy like Tony Khan, who is uh, just such a super fan too, I mean, he's probably getting a, a getting a little ahead of himself with with ideas and in, in certain situations and scenarios and maybe assumptions but too. Uh, assumptions too, but than not have those ideas. Like I, oh, yeah. I so appreciate the fact that Tony Khan is still in his heart a fan. I think that that's really important to have because he's not going to forget the magic of what it's like to be a fan. He's not going to lose track of the, the mysticism that so many of us wrestling fans fell in love with, and it's one of the things that keeps us wrestling fans. So I think that is important that he's still a fan, mm -hmm. but I think AEW is, is definitely more geared toward the generational, long-term smart fan and less toward a more casual audience that I think the WWE is to this day, still trying to get a stronger handle on. Mm -hmm. So it's just trying to find really uh, in time getting that bridge to that mainstream or trying to capture something beyond what they're trying to uh, find with their, you know, as far as the getting, keeping their super fan, keeping those fans who are really uber fans of professional wrestling happy. They got to dabble. Not be their goal. Like, like maybe AEW is specifically designed for that wrestling super fan because they are so loyal and because they are willing to drop so much money on merchandise and trips and additional shows and um, you know meet and greets and all that stuff like those wrestling fans who came up in the attitude era they're adults now which means they control the money they spend and so I don't know if AEW's goal is to ultimately reach the same you know casual audience as WWE but it feels to me anyway at this current moment in time that they are zeroing in on the more discriminating wrestling fan and less the person flipping channels on a Monday night or a Friday night. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, for me, another thing of having all this uh, interplay these days, uh, it makes it interesting. I mean, it, I mean, I, I'm a fan. I, I've watched Impact with the good, the bad, the Dixie. And, uh, you know, I've, <laughs> you know, I, I've always had like, I just, I, I, I've always, I've watched them through the various channel changes, you know, Destination America, uh, Destination America, was it? And then they were on that damn Pursuit channel. They were on a hunting channel and it just, it didn't work. It didn't jibe. But to be able to have like at right. least have something like access. I mean, I granted, it's not you know uh, like a, the major player in yeah, basic cable or anything. But I think having uh, access. I mean, yeah, granted, they're not going to get to Spike again or now Paramount. But at least they have something there. I mean, it's not public access yet. Right. Well, also 
Impact, I think, is one of the most resilient promotions oh, yeah. that has ever existed. Like, they, by all rights, they should have been done years ago. But they're not. They're still around. And they have, they have turned their programming around. It has gotten so much better over the years. If you take a look at it during the Dixie area, then you take, or era, rather, and then you take a look at where it's at now, it has grown and evolved by leaps and bounds. And, again, I think it's, it, it, it is this weird line between trying to get more eyes on impact, but also I need to have a reason to care about impact. And if Kenny Omega just, you know, just claimed all the belts, then like, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm emotionally invested enough in impact wrestling to see what they're going to do to like get their gold back and to gain some traction. There's got to be something. I mean, next, their their big thing is uh, they got an event coming up here on the weekend. But uh, the next big pay-per-view, of course, is kind of uh, something that made news last year. It was right around the time of the expiration of the uh, non-competes uh, for some of the WWE releases. So that also brings in a little what if. And, of course, the, the, the knock on TNA through the years was uh, an impact was, oh, they're just taking WWE cast-offs and, and doing whatever. But I don't know, man. They had brought Christian Cage in through the years. They had Booker in there through the years. I mean, granted, through the Hogan run, there was a lot of uh, watered down, shouldn't have been there, guys. You know, as much as I love the Nasty Boys, it wasn't uh, very cool to see them, uh, uh, you know, open up the, the new Hogan era because Impact, before Hogan jumped in, or TNA before that, they were really doing some stuff with the guy. I mean, they they put the, more of the focus on AJ Styles. He didn't have the goofy nature boy wannabe gimmick. I just think that the, they made such a big major misstep. It took a. It's been taking so many years now just for them to, uh, you know, find find their real true identity after uh, having that shadow cast with Hogan and Bischoff and Dixie and all right. all of that stuff. Because I mean, good God, one week you know, you're watching these really great matches, you know, with your Kazarians, you know, your Samoa Joes, and then you're you're seeing, you know, Sean Morley and different people like that. It's like guys, you you really just kind of came out of nowhere and I don't think that uh, that did them any favors and it's been what 11 years now since uh, that first uh, you know those first big big bombs in the Monday Night War when they tried to compete with Vince and Vince just wiped them off the map right well I think that's something that uh, AEW needs to be cautious of because we're seeing a lot of WWE cast off ending up in AEW and if the idea behind AEW is that it's an alternative to WWE and yet you're seeing all these former WWE guys pop up in AEW. It's like, how much different can it really be if you're seeing the same faces? Like, if you, if you, if you keep seeing the same faces popping up and you're seeing pyro and a big screen and a fancy stage and all this stuff, like, and again, I don't know if this is the case or not, but if AEW is pitching itself as an alternative, I don't know how different it's going to feel if you're just seeing the same faces pop up that were in WWE, you know, three months prior. It's going to be some definitely uh, some interesting times, especially now uh, since the recent announcement of them uh, going back on the road with uh, ticket announcements uh, for some uh, upcoming uh, dynamite tapings. So uh, it'll be it'll be interesting once there's some people outside of Daly's place uh, seeing what they what the product is and if they they're able to right. draw. I mean that's another thing. And now once the COVID lifts and it's can they draw? Can they do this? I mean they could put all these great big cool events on, but again. Are there people going to be back out for them? Well, people are going to be back out for anything. Well, well, COVID that past that honeymoon like, phase, I mean. That's what. Well, right, right. Past the honeymoon phase, it's like everything's going to sell out in the first, you know, couple weeks, couple months. But after we return, after, I shouldn't say return. After we get to the new normal, whatever that looks yeah. like, I think you know it's, we're going to have to wait a minute to see to see how those questions get answered. Because yeah, like I said, people are just chomping at the bit to get back to live events, live performances, wrestling, concerts, comedy, whatever. But um, it's going be- it's gonna, to it's gonna take a while to see what has the staying power and, and what was just, as you said, that honeymoon phase. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yes, and no truth to the rumors that uh, there's been 15,000 tickets sold for a dream match between Dan Housen and Johnny Swinger. Finally. 
<laughs> I I think about TNA or, or Impact. I always want to say TNA, but uh, Impact is they have Johnny Swinger on there, man. He I mean, again, Johnny Swinger. I think about the old WCW Saturday Night days, but to see him come right. in with the, that that over the top fanny pack wearing character who drops so many old wrestling, uh, you know, lingo and references. I mean, he doesn't even have to really even go in the ring. I mean, and he has. I mean, the match he had with uh, Mike Jackson uh, two years ago was amazing. But it's I that stuff keeps me laughing. Even though I mean a lot of people kind of poo poo on some of that stuff. I think Johnny Swinger is money. Him and Danhausen main event twenty five thousand. Let's do it anywhere in the world. Absolutely, a main um, event I, in anywhere I, in the world. I think there is something to be said though for that kind of throwback. That like that nostalgia yeah. to a WCW Saturday Night, and I think there's always going to be a place for nostalgia in wrestling. I think wrestling just needs to be careful that it doesn't rely on nostalgia because if you rely on nostalgia, the nostalgia becomes a part of the everyday act. And part of the joy of nostalgia is that you don't see it all the time, that you only bring it out on for big moments or special occasions, because the more you use it and the more you rely on it, the less special it gets. Mm -hmm. And the more likely that nostalgic act is, going to remind you that it just can't do it like it used to and that's when it just gets sad and it does the product a disservice rather than a service mm -hmm. and i think again that's that's got it that's something that like a lot of wrestling companies need to be careful of of not milking that to the point that it runs dry yeah then it just becomes stunt casting and you know it just uh plug in for a pop sort of a thing not unlike tv right. during during sweeps or, or something you know it just becomes something like oh yeah here they go some uh, ratings have been down for a couple of weeks oh yeah it's gonna be hulk hogan appreciation night on uh, raw yeah great yeah yeah exactly it's like get, get out of here get creative i that's something else that just drives me nuts when somebody gets released and they're told creative has nothing for you well then you should be releasing creative because it's their job to come up with stuff release bring in some more you need more creative people Amen. creative can't come up with something for the talent mm -hmm. exactly it's like yeah there's plenty of those people in creative that can be replaced it's like they just when they start throwing the boys and and, and the gals around and, and think that, oh yeah we couldn't do anything with you it just it's amazing because a lot of that talent gets pushed behind and they have to really fight and fight their own, like just, uh, you know, mental inadequacies uh, to try to get themselves back on and try to reinvent. But I mean, thankfully, uh, you know, there is alternatives for people to go outside of just the WWE. I'm going to bring it back to Mike McCurdy here. He's got a few more questions before we wrap up with AJ Kirsch. You're on wrestling memories then and now. What I'd like to ask AJ is, you know, like I said, you're a busy guy. You've always got projects going. You're always going from here to there to work on stuff. But this past year, we've been in the pandemic and everything basically been shut down. What have you been doing? What did you do during the pandemic to kind of adjust to, you know, the new world as we've been going through it and be able to keep yourself busy? Because like I said, you've always got projects going on somewhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was definitely a period where I was just kind of kicking and screaming and, and not wanting to accept that things were just not going to be the, the way they were before. I don't know that I've, that I've yet to get over holding myself to pre-pandemic standards of prod productibility. Um, that's just, you know, I've, like you said, I've, I've always prided myself on having projects to work on or, or an audition or a shoot or a show or something in the works that I'm working on that I can, like, anticipate and look forward to. And, of course, keep money coming in because that's how I make my living. I'm a freelance entertainer it's not an easy gig um and with no shows happening for the for over a year it was like oh my god we we got to figure something out so um you know i'm really dedicated to my health and fitness so i started doing a um on my twitch channel i did online like live streaming bodyweight workouts because gyms were closed and exercise equipment was astronomically expensive because capitalism so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to put together uh, workouts that people can do with literally no equipment, with just their body weight. And it's never been a challenge for me to get motivated about fitness and to stay motivated about fitness, but I realized that comes as a challenge to a lot of other people. So I figured I'd launch um, some online streaming workouts, which I've stopped doing now because gyms are 
back open again. Um, I'm not really sure what I'm doing with my Twitch channel at the moment. Actually, I think I'm going to do a tough enough watch along type thing on my end so I can like share my thoughts on, on the episodes, especially now that they're on Peacock. So if you are on Twitch, please give me a follow at AJ Kirsch. Um, I don't know. I, I worked on myself a lot. Like if I, I remember somebody saying the phrase, if you can't go out, go in. So um, I was just kind of working on what makes me happy away from wrestling and away from the gym. And um, like I've, I've got an amazing girlfriend who's just been the absolute highlight of the last year. I'm so used to being hyper-focused on my professional career that it gave me an opportunity to focus on my personal life, which is now that, that things are kind of soft opening back up again, I'm able to take that joy in my, in my personal life and use it as, as motivation and as fuel for the fire in my professional life, which I still have no idea what, what, what that looks like when things open back up again. But I'm in great health. I'm in great spirits. Um, I'm really happy with uh, how the podcast has been coming along. And um, I don't know. I'm just I'm cautiously optimistic about what the future holds. Again, no idea what the future holds. Um, I haven't heard anything from AEW, which is, you know, frustrating, but it is what it is. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm in a good place right now. So, you know, we'll, we'll listen with the AEW. You know, you made a couple of characters in there. You know, obviously, I saw you in the ring, uh, but also, you know, Brosis made his uh, appearance on AEW. What was it like, actually, after a year of the pandemic and not being able to do anything? to actually be able to go out, to work in the rain, to be in front of, even if it was just like, you know, the AEW guys, you know, to give the crowd noise. What was it like to actually get to go back out there and finally get to work again? It felt great. Um, that was only the fifth or sixth match I've had in the last five years because uh, my focus has been, you know, almost entirely on hosting, ring announcing, and commentary. So basically I just wanted, I was just hoping that I looked like I still belonged in the ring and, and, that fingers crossed nobody thought like, oh my God, what is this guy doing out there? So um, that was one of the primary concerns I had going into the match. It felt good to wrestle again. It, it, it was fun. It, was, it felt like riding a bike. It felt great. Um, it was nice being able to perform in front of people, even though you know they don't make nearly the noise that, that I'm used to. It was still nice just to hear those reactions. And it was a surreal experience to perform in a venue as top tier as Daly's place and to walk through an entrance tunnel and to just be in, in a ring that size with the stands, even though they were empty, it was just, it was really nice. It was just really nice. It was, it was very refreshing. It was the first time I had actually performed live since, you know, March of 2020. And uh, it was good. It was very encouraging, very encouraging. Now, for our listeners who are interested and want to find out more about Tough Talk, where can they find uh, your podcast? Yeah, you can uh, subscribe everywhere you get your podcasts at thetoughtalkpod.com. What? Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Deezer, Podcast Addict. Like, it's, it's on all the major podcast platforms. So um, regardless of your, your platform or preference, if you just go to thetoughtalkpod.com, um, it will take you to exactly where you want to go. You can also follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's all at the Tough Talk Pod. And I upload a video of every conversation to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash AJ Kirsch. All right, well, I'm going to pass the mic back over to Glenn as we wrap up this week's episode. Uh, for AJ Kirsch and the Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy, this has been Rasslin' Memories Then and Now.